I'm still on that path to reimagining what my life can look like. And it's really hard to have dreams that are not tied to the vision that I had for myself before. I've had to really kind of strip everything that I thought I knew about what my life could look like and just start fresh. This is Women on the Rise, the show about the self-care choices women make to fuel their success in business and life. I'm your host, Laura Dolch. This season, we're widening the lens to talk about resilience, reinvention, and what happens when women refuse to put themselves last. All of which is made possible, of course, when we know ourselves and practice our deeply personal and ever-evolving kind of self-care. Listen in for inspiration and practical tools to help you thrive in a world that often tells women that every Everyone matters more than them. Hey everyone, it's Laura. I met this week's guest at an event at the Riveter in early March, the last public gathering I attended before lockdown began. It's crazy to think about that now. And, you know, we were sharing food and sitting right next to each other. And so much has changed. We just had no idea what was about to happen back then. And sadly, the Riveter has closed its doors for its co-working spaces. So anyway, it's just bizarre to think back to that time and the circumstances under which Danielle Henry and I met. But it was a panel discussion about career pivots and something about Danielle's energy that night caught my attention. So I asked her to join me on the podcast for a chat. Danielle and I recorded this conversation on May 12th when things in the world felt heavy, but not as heavy as they would become just two weeks later with the murder of George Floyd. I hope her story of reinvention, refusing to put herself last, and making hard choices to discover her next chapter will inspire you and give you a bit of much-needed hope right now. Danielle Henry is an empowerment coach and speaker, equity consultant, and graduate clinical psychotherapist. As a former six-year marketing executive at Microsoft, she draws from personal experiences of race discrimination and retaliation in tech to motivate women and people of color to release themselves from the victimhood of their lives. After the unexpected loss of her career in marketing, Danielle struggled to recognize who she was and found herself searching for meaning and purpose. We talked about how Danielle bounced back from her difficult breakup with the tech industry and how she found her authentic voice again. The surprising advice that Danielle's best friend shared with Danielle when she was miserable at her job. Danielle's top three ingredients for resilience and change. And what to do if you know you don't want this, job, relationship, home, life, career, whatever, but you're not sure what you do want. Also, I reached out to Danielle last week to see if she would share some of her favorite resources for understanding and practicing anti-racism. I'm going to read to you what she said because she gives some context on why she's recommending these resources. Danielle says, a popular resource to understand the importance of anti-racism and the adoption of anti-racist policies is Ibram X. Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. I recommend this book because it offers compelling strategies for a cross-section of folks to begin influencing policy in their local communities. Other powerful resources for understanding and exploring what many white folks are experiencing through this race revolution are the book White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo and authors Michael Eric Dyson and Tim Wise. I follow each of these authors slash activists on Twitter for a stream of racial consciousness. Thanks to Danielle for sharing those resources. You'll find links to them in the show notes for this episode, 
along with information about another cause close to Danielle's heart. One more thing before we get to Danielle. If you have a favorite episode of the show, maybe it'll be this one. Please share it with one friend this week. It's a huge help to the show and hopefully a huge help to your friend too. Enjoy my conversation with Danielle. But yeah, you know, I think resilience is obviously on everyone's mind right now. Sure. Just talking about your experience as a mother, like what has been coming up for you during this time now that you're all at home together in a way that you weren't before? Right. Well, really what's coming up for me is how do I explain this to a four-year-old in an age-appropriate way that developmentally he can understand? I mean, he will always remember when he had to stop going to school. And that's not an experience that I'm familiar with. And so I'm just aware that he has outcomes and symptoms related to this pandemic that are different than how I'm experiencing it. And so giving him a little bit of grace, and that looks like, you know, trying to stay calm through tantrums or times when he misses his teachers and his friends. But then also realizing that my husband and I, we need time alone. <laughs> we cannot be in the house 24 hours a day, the all three of us. And so sort of negotiating what does that look like for everyone individually having time alone, but also coming together. And I think the biggest thing I'm learning is that I miss my husband. <laughs> you know, we go on walks alone and we go on walks as a family, but never the two of us. And so just being really mindful about where each of us is, is at on any given day, because it's so dynamic. I mean, from Initially, it was like from one week to the next, things were changing emotionally, mentally, spiritually even. And then there was a period where from one day to the next, I'm telling you, it was like I was a different person. And even internally, I, I was aware that, okay, today there is a fog that hasn't existed. And how do I cope with this? How do I show up and still have a sense of presence and joy and love and, and um awareness and understanding that this is going to pass, you know, things will be very different. So it's just, you know, rolling with it. I like to think of it as rolling waves and the tide coming in and out and just shifting and growing and forgiving myself <laughs> every night. It's like, what do I need to forgive myself for today? What grace do I need to extend to myself this week in order to show up differently? For the past three years, Mother's Day has been such a reflective period for me. I've grown so much in his presence, more so than I ever have in my life. So he just really helps me think about who I want to be and what do I want to model for him? What do I want him to see about his mom, a woman that has a career, but who also can take care of a family and can roll up her sleeves and take the trash out. And, you know, there's an equality in our household. So he's, he's certainly taught me quite a few things. I love that. I love that. I mean, that's so, and especially right now, I mean, I'll just, we're obviously recording this in May of 2020 in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic and in, you know, probably several weeks out from any kind of, you know, release of the lockdown in Washington right, state. Right. And so I think, um, you know, that's what you're talking about is probably coming up even more for you now. Tell me about a time, whether it's during this lockdown or 
some other time where you were under an enormous amount of pressure and you really struggled to give yourself that grace where you mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, maybe lost it. And like, how did you come back from that? Yeah. Well, I think that's actually taken a little bit more work. And so it's something I've been working on for a while is when I feel like I'm under pressure or the the stress and tension is just too much to bear, understanding what I need. And for me, that is a long bath, (laughs) refilling the warm water two or three times and just, you know, having sage in there with me and crystals and whatever, whatever it is for each individual person. But for me, that's how I just take a pause and literally stop thinking, stop my, my mind from doing what it does best, which is running and, you know, spinning uncontrollably. And I mean, there's so much uncertainty right now and people are having to relearn how to engage with one another, given that they're spending so much time either together or apart. And so when I feel like I'm losing it, I can, I'm starting to be able to identify what my triggers are so that I can say, okay, you know what, you need, you need a little bit of time alone. And that, that could be a walk on some days, but having like a um, arsenal of self-care routines that kind of build me back up. Yeah. What's different about that? Well, I have two questions. One, because I spent many years with my primary business being health coaching. I'm very interested mm-hmm. in what happens in people's bodies when like what those, how you n- notice that you're being right. triggered, you know, and how that manifests physically, because I think that's a really great way to react to that. So let's talk about that first. Like what what happens for you? What What have you noticed that gives you that sign of, oh, right, I need to do something about this. Is, this. this is it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's sort of like that flight or fight where, you know, I notice that my temperature is going up or I notice that my heart rate has gone up in my body or just the way that I uh, respond to either my son or my husband or just simply feeling like I'm hitting a wall and there's just so many tasks before me that I don't really know which way to go. And so sometimes that feels like procrastination but I'm able to discern when that is really just me having too much on my plate at one time. And then I got to go back to this again. It's like realizing that I have to forgive myself. I have to realize that wearing 10 hats is never something that any of us wants to sign up to do. (laughs) You know, I'm not a teacher for a reason and managing my business, being a mother, taking care of myself, nurturing my relationship with my husband, feeding my dog and my fish. I mean, these are all things that are manageable under normal circumstances, but in the middle of a pandemic, a global health crisis, it's okay if my son watches TV for an hour, (laughs) you know? And so being aware, I think one other thing I'll say about this is that I've gotten into the habit of kind of debriefing each day. So what actually happened today? How did I feel? When did I feel that way? Um, And then at the end of the week, doing that again and saying, okay, what were the huge milestones in this week? What were the moments where you felt like things were getting a little unmanageable? And what could you potentially have done to minimize the stress that you were feeling? How can you be more efficient? How can you do more with less? And what are some things that can be taken off of my plate entirely that don't really need the type of attention that I feel like they need because I got to get everything done? Wow, that's a great exercise. Do you you do that every week? 
I do once a week for sure. That's, That's a part of that process of my, my bath routine too, is just kind of like slowing things down and thinking about my week and what am I happy about? What can I change? Where are some areas where I can grow? I love that. And I especially love that because you are the mother of a four-year-old child right now. And I think, you know, I would guess I'm not a mom. I'm an auntie. I like to call myself a pro auntie. But my nephews are much older. They're like 13 and 15. So Mm -hmm. it's totally different, different time of life. But I think a lot of women and, and mothers in particular, I notice feel often feel shame for, you know, taking care of their needs for or for asking for help or for standing up for themselves in some way. Can you can you relate to that and talk about that? For sure. I actually just got off of a call with a colleague and we were talking about high performing, high achieving women and how we guilt ourselves when we have to show up for ourselves. And I'm getting chills right now because... Me too. That's so crazy. I wonder if I was just channeling you. That's so funny. I know. (laughs) But it is one of the most difficult things. And you'd think that, you know, we're able to function so quickly and efficiently for everyone else. But when it comes to us and what we need, we feel like we have to put that at the bottom of the list. When really, if we tune in to what we need, we can do everything else, you know, easier and and with less stress. And so I, you know, I've had experiences where I really did need to take care of myself and I didn't. And that's when everything starts falling apart. So, so, you know, we have to learn the hard way sometimes, unfortunately, but we can grow from those experiences. And so I think that that practice of saying, you know what, I forgive you for not performing the way that you had envisioned in that meeting or wow, today I really could show myself a little bit of grace because I had these five things going on that that I hadn't planned or expected to happen in my day. Um, And so finding those areas to really kind of pat yourself on the back, dust yourself off and know that it's really not the end of the world if you have one bad meeting. And so kind of catastrophizing the things that happen in our days to, to then put that that cloak of shame and guilt when we can remove that. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of just the perfectionism thing that, that a lot of high achieving mm-hmm. women do. I mean, it's all related to that, right? We have such high expectations of ourselves and when we don't meet those, we feel shame. And then we feel yeah. the shame that we have around sort of society telling us that we shouldn't put ourselves first ever. <laughs> it's just, a, oh gosh, an unending cycle. Right. Of- yeah. It totally is. Well, you know, you talked about like times where you hadn't taken care of yourself and you should have and, and things that's when things went, went south. Are you willing to share us? Can you think of a specific time and what was <sighs> happening? Well, so I, I I think I shared with you that I'd worked for Microsoft for five years and I had a really no good, ugly, bad fuck you type of breakup with them. Um, and things got really bad. I... I I didn't know where to turn. I felt like there were a lot of people that wanted to help me and wanted to support me, but I didn't even know what that looked like. So for someone who had achieved such great things in my career, to lose that all was devastating. And so that was 
sort of the turning point for me when I really had to learn how to shift gears and to be resilient, like what what we've talked about, and how to adapt and change and realize, again, it felt like the end of the world when I left Microsoft. I didn't know who I was anymore. And at the same time, there were still seeds planted in me that could be nurtured and that could grow. And, you know, I, I didn't recognize my own voice. I couldn't hear myself within and know that there was something bigger that the universe was doing for me. But little slowly, slowly just reminding myself every day that it's okay. Journaling, yoga was an absolute, oh, if I, I don't know what I would do without yoga. But those moments of stillness on my mat really allowed me to find these dark corners within myself and to shine light where I never knew that I needed light. Um, so yeah, that's that was a big moment in my life. You know, when I think of like the major things that happened to us, that was one of them for me. And thank God, because I didn't really know how to take care of myself. I didn't know how to heal or forgive. And, you know, various different traumas started to come out as I started to do that work. But I am grounded in a belief that we all have the power to heal and grow from our darkest experiences. And that was, that was one of those moments for me. What was it like the day that that all went down? Like the day that you left this job that you had worked so hard at and unfortunately that came to a close in a not very happy way. What was that? Can you talk about that day? Yeah, well, that day... I I knew it was over before that day, but I was unwilling to accept that. I knew that I was suffering, that there were parts of me that should have been protected. And not only was this company not protecting me, but I wasn't protecting myself. And so that day I left and I called my best friend And I was, there was rage, there was anger, there were tears, there was sadness. I mean, every emotion was coming out. And my best friend, she says, you know, you don't, you don't have to go back. And it's, it's the simple thing that I had never considered. Because for me to not go back was never an option. Like this was my job. This was my career. This is what I'd worked for 13 years to build. This was my reputation. This was, it was so much. And, and when she said that, I kind of grappled with it for a second. And I thought, you know what? I don't, I don't have to go back. I'm bigger than this. I'm more than this. I'm worthy of more than this. And so I'll never forget that day screaming in my kitchen, you know, screaming at Microsoft, who, of course, who, who is it, <laughs> this behemoth of an organization, but realizing that I needed to take care of myself and I had to find it within myself to heal from the things that had happened to me. That day, I'll say, was easier than the days that followed. <laughs> Making the decision to, to not go back was certainly easier than the transition to, you know, not getting up and going to work every day and having colleagues and going to lunch with people and having projects. So, yeah, but that was definitely a rebirth for me that day. And it's happened to be on my son's second birthday. Wow. Yeah, that sounds like a, an amazingly intense day. I, I 
I can relate to so many things about sort of that sense of self that we get from our careers. And I've talked about it on this podcast before. Yeah. And when that's gone, it's, yeah, it is a rebirth and Mm -hmm. it is, it is hard. Yeah. Like that is no joke. So talk to me about that. Like, so you had this sort of, it came to a head and obviously there was a a, a journey there. It wasn't just all in one day, but you decided Mm -hmm. not to go back to this place that had been a huge part of your career, a huge part of your life. Um, that that really felt like it defined you. Mm-hmm. What happened in terms of your friends and family and how they related to you during this transformation? Yeah, well, just one thing while we're talking about birth and just what we know about birth is that it's beautiful and it's difficult and there's pressure and pain and joy and all of those wonderful things. And so it's just so ironic that we get to talk about it in that way, that this experience for me was a rebirth and a huge transformation. And I think as it relates to my friends and family, my family for so long has associated me with major achievement and success. And even myself, even as I say that, I'm thinking, yeah, that was me. But it was really difficult for them to recognize me at that point. And like I said earlier, I didn't even really know what I needed at that point. And so there was a lot of fumbling going on and it was just really painful. And so for anyone that's embarking on a, a, a transformation, I would say that find people who know how to support you. And you know the people who, when you get around them, you come away from them feeling energized and feeling better and feeling like you are empowered. And sometimes it's not the people that you think it would be. And that's not to say that you can't maintain those relationships. We have the power to support people at various different points and times and seasons in our life. And so not to totally disregard people who are unable to show up in those moments, but to find your people, find that that tribe of people who get you, that get these moments, that had similar experiences and find find the people who can help you evolve and kind of shed those layers of yourself that you no longer need. Yeah, I'm curious, the friend that you called that day, why was she the one that you called? What was it about her? Oh, well, she is my ride or die. (laughs) We have been friends for over, I'm not going to (laughs) say, decades long. (laughs) And we've just, you know, we've been there for one another through different experiences, very difficult experiences, joyous experiences. She was also the maid of honor in in my husband and I in our wedding. And I think that at the time, she was able to hear how much I was suffering in those moments and really say the things that empowered me to look at myself, like to really see myself because I had lost that vision of who I was. And I think that that came with time. It came with, you know, the history of our relationship. And and she just sort of, you know, she's, she knows me. And I'm, I'm so fortunate to have that type of friendship also. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can't remember who it was. I think it's, I think it's Brene Brown who talks about, oh yeah, she, I can't remember if it's in Daring Greatly. Is, yeah, I guess it is in Daring Greatly where she talks about 
well, of course it is, because where the where the name of the book came from, but being in the arena and the people. But she talks about the people who, you know, when we get all wrapped up in our head and we feel judged by people, and 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 she talks about the fact that the people whose opinions that we should care about. Those names should fit on a tiny one inch by one inch piece of paper. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Right. Which is about three or four people, maybe five if you write right. really small. And it's like, mm-hmm. those are the people that matter and no one else matters. Yeah. And those are people who are in the arena too, in some way. Yep. In the way that, she, you know, she or who are in life doing, taking risks, doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to turn off all the other noise that you don't need. Yeah. And we joke sometimes, you know, sometimes. I'm Thelma and she's Louise or she's Gail and I'm <laughs> Oprah. And it's, you know, it changes from, from one experience to the next, but um, we definitely know how to show up for one another. I love that. I love that. I hope everyone listening has at least one friend like that. Yeah. Or at least I can say we've had to learn how to be there for one another. We've certainly stumbled. Yeah. How do you do that? Tell me about that. Yeah. Well, going back to that forgiveness, not only how can I forgive myself, but how can I forgive others and recognize that they go through similar experiences that are different while there's much alike, there are still differences and grace. How do I extend grace to others that may be experiencing something? And just as I was talking about grace, I'm thinking... Sometimes that grace is because someone doesn't know exactly how to show up or what to say in a particular moment. And so grace allows you to move through that and process through that and say, okay, I know that she loves me. I know that she doesn't want to hurt me. And so that there may be a narrative in my mind right now, but what I know, my core belief about my relationship is that this is someone I trust. This is someone that loves me, that wants to see me thriving and healthy. And so kind of, you know, just like we have to shift our dominant narratives about ourselves, we have to do that about the people in our lives as well at times. That is so hard, Danielle. That that's so hard, right? It is. It <laughs> I is. mean, I'm just thinking Take of the people. Practice. Yeah, I mean, it's even when you're self-aware, you know, which mm-hmm. I like to think I'm fairly self-aware, but it doesn't mean <laughs> that I. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a hard thing to change those narratives. What have you, with people in your life that you've had that challenge with? What have mm-hmm. you found helpful? Well, I acknowledgement is one just acknowledging where we're at. Acknowledgement is huge for me. It's very difficult for me to build relationships where we don't first start on a level playing field with all of the things out on the table for us to evaluate and assess and process. So acknowledgement is, is critical. I'd also say in relationships, big relationships, I like to call them, it's important to allow yourself to think from the other person's perspective to really kind of step out of yourself. And I know it sounds really easy, like, okay, take yourself out of it, but you, you really truly do because just as much as there's a narrative that you have, there is another narrative from the other person in the relationship. And so acknowledgement and awareness that the two of you have very different experiences, even though it's one experience, there are there truly are three different experiences. And that's been helpful. And motivation, like both people in the relationship have to be motivated to really want to embark on some sort of change. 
Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. It can't it can't just come from one person, unfortunately. No. Like we always talk about how all you can do is change yourself and that is true, but in a situation like that, you need you need the help of the other person yep, to find that sure. middle ground. Yeah, absolutely. Talk to me a little about you had told me or maybe it's something that I saw on your website. I was I was poking around your website and <laughs> I, I love there were a couple of things there that I loved. Mm-hmm. One was just this idea of well, you had talked about learning how to give less bucks when it really counts, mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I loved. And also getting comfortable with words like fierce and diva. Can you oh, talk yeah. about both of those things? Well, it's funny that you remind me of all of that because I think I could give a few less fucks these days. And <laughs> we all and maybe I do need to put on a freakum dress and remind myself <laughs> that I can be a diva because it's been several weeks that we've been in the house. Yeah. I mean, So uh, first about being fierce and being a diva, it's most important when you don't feel that way too, to just really kind of channel that and ground yourself in. For me, it's like my femininity and my curves and my sexy and pretending like, like the whole fake it till you make it. Some days I feel like I need to come in my office, my room and stand in the mirror and just fake it for a minute. Just like hit the curves, hit the angles, <laughs> I love you it. know, and, and just be feeling myself for a minute in order to lift the fog that might be there on any given day. And so that is really tapping into those moments when you really feel like your authentic, beautiful self and just letting that kind of rain when you need it. And as far as giving less fucks, I mean, that is about authenticity. That is about being exactly who you are and knowing that you are worthy and valuable and that there is no one who can do that better than you. (laughs) And so, yeah, that's sort of, that's sort of where those two things come from. And so, you know, I have to work with my clients on that. Like literally let's stand up, put on your cute outfit, show me what is your posture of confidence, especially when I see a posture where we don't have confidence. So how can we tap into that and really bring that forth? Yeah, totally. It's making me think about a little shout out for a company called Armoire, which my listeners will be familiar with because they have sponsored the podcast in the past. But I will say that they have been hosting virtual happy hours for their members oh. that and the idea is to get dressed up is to wear a piece of clothing from armoire for those who don't know it's a clothing rental service for women um and that's and i love it made me think about that when you were mm-hmm. you know stepping into that sort of fierce diva persona because there is something about yes putting on a nice dress or nice outfit or whatever in. something you feel good in yeah. and just i mean i feel like actually you know, I can, I feel like I can tie everything back to resilience because it's so, it's so the stories that, that women have, like every woman yeah. has a story of re- resilience. But I think what you're talking about are those to me are tools for staying resilient. Do you think that's right? For sure. I mean, my theory of change, resilience is, is, you know, my top three key ingredients for change, adapting, growing, realizing that there are seeds that can grow and you can tap into that at any point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you've also, maybe this is something that you told me about sort of, we always have a choice, right? No matter what happens in our lives, we always have a choice about what comes next. Can you talk to me about that and what, how that showed up for you? 
For sure. Well, it's interesting. You know, I had a 13 year career in marketing and now I am a psychotherapist. So I can tell you all about shifting gears. It really is hard work mentally, spiritually, just being grounded in realizing that, you know, you can truly start all over again. Like you can change your mind and from one day to the next, just remind yourself that this is possible. I think one of the most helpful things for me was really to identify how I wanted to serve others, how I wanted to empower women. And that's essentially what I'm doing in in my coaching business is working with women. And so it is highly possible to pivot, to reverse and back out and go a different way, especially when you find yourself in a position that is unhealthy or is not serving you or is not tapping into the greatest power and good that you have to give to the world. It's a journey. And so we talked a lot about like who can support you and what kind of community that you develop around you, but also what are those periods of isolation, what are you doing in those moments when you're alone? You know, when you find yourself down and what do you tell yourself to get back up and identifying what those things are? It is possible. And I mean, we have so many countless examples of women who have changed course despite the adversity that they've experienced. I'm happy to say that I'm one of them and I'm still on that path to reimagining what my life can look like. And it's really hard to have dreams that are not tied to the vision that I had for myself before. I've had to really kind of strip everything that I thought I knew about what my life could look like and just start fresh. And, you know, vision boards are really helpful for that. Journaling is really helpful for that. Having a good meditation practice um, is certainly can accelerate your progress in, in making those types of pivots. Yeah, it's all those things. I feel like, you know, it, that's the isolation piece of it, right, that you're talking about that's so important. What would you say to someone who's listening to this who, you know, maybe is in a situation that they know it's sort of like they know I don't want this, like mm-hmm. not this, <laughs> yep. but they don't know what the next thing is. What would you say they should do? Yeah. And and this could be, it could be a relationship, it could be a job, it could be so many, it could be yourself moving, moving out of your own way. And so what I'd say is to really find those activities that help you feel connected to yourself, whatever that might be. That might be a friend that you enjoy spending time with where you feel most authentically yourself. That may be a special place that you go to, or perhaps it's speaking with someone who's no longer with us in physical form. Adopting a yoga practice, for example, but finding those activities that help you connect with who you want to be, that help you feel closer to that that vision or that image of who you want to be, whether that is someone that is strong or someone that has confidence, or perhaps it's someone that knows how to run a successful meeting. Whatever those moments are that you feel most like yourself, do more of that. Mm, I love that. 
Yeah, and it is. It's different for everyone. And you have to kind of experiment to figure out what it is, I've, at least in my experience. You talked about experimenting when we first chatted, and it has not left me. I, <laughs> I'm telling you, I am treating everything like one big experiment that where nothing can go wrong because all I'm trying to do is get learnings and data and yeah. figure out how I want to do things the next time around. So I'm so you. glad that stuck. Yeah, it I'm did. glad that stuck. And my listeners have heard me, I'm sure, talk about that before in both both life and in business, because mm-hmm. I think that it just takes the pressure off. It does. To your point. Yeah. Like you can't fail. You're just trying stuff out. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's actually, that's one thing that I would say to people that want to embark on a change is just start to experiment with things that feel good and do more of those things. Yeah, I actually, I always, I feel like I always have a book recommendation, but have you read Design Your Life? It's by these guys who run the Stanford Life Design Lab, I think is what it's called. Yeah, it's really interesting. Is that what it's called? Designing Your Life or Design Your Life, something like that. And it's exactly what we're talking about, right? It's the, you know, it's, it's used, what they've done is applied design thinking to life decisions, basically. So the way that product designers would, would, you know, sort of prototype their way into a product. Interesting. Okay. They're suggesting that we do the same thing with life decisions mm. um, because it's more like I, sometimes you don't have the exact destination in mind, right? So how can you like just point your compass there? And what they're saying is you have to talk to people and try things and prototype your way forward. It's more of a, a wayfinding exercise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually talk to me about that for you because I'm, I'm guessing it wasn't like a switch that flipped for you when no. you when you left. Yeah. <laughs> When you left Microsoft and then, you know, now you're studying to be a therapist, like how did you find your way to that? Well, the first step really was the yoga studio. I tried yoga back in my early 20s and it didn't stick, but my primary care physician, my therapist and my physical therapist were all recommending that I get my butt in a yoga studio. So I listened and that really helped me hear myself, hear the rhythm of my heartbeat, and not just like the physical hearing it, but really mending wounds that I had in addition to the work that I was doing in therapy and physical therapy. And so being able to hear that voice within myself was the first step to identifying a direction that I could go. And once I kind of had that radical acceptance that, okay, this career is no longer for you. You Corporate spaces like that are triggering for me and I need to course correct and find something new. And once, I mean, it was really difficult to accept that and to give up everything that I had really identified as who I was for so long. But once I accepted that, the universe just began to open up things. I mean, I met my spiritual director at a spin class at LA Fitness. Um, And she happened to be in a doctorate program at Seattle University. And as I told her that I wanted to coach women, she told me about a therapy program. And I mean, one thing just led to another. And it really is magical what happens when you are radically accepting of what no longer is, 
the possibility of what could be and really, you know, committing to going down a new path and reminding yourself that you're worthy of change, that you're worthy of, of something better for yourself. So finding that activity for me where I could really just ground myself in love and healing and forgiveness and then allowing the universe to do some magical things for me. And it sounds cliche, but I'm telling you, when you start to plant those seeds for what you need and what you want, it will be delivered. And when you start to connect with people who are on the same path and interested in the same things, it just kind of cascades into more. Yeah, I was gonna say it sounds cliche because there's truth in it, right? I mean, that's that's where cliches come from, Mm -hmm. right? There's, there's a shred of truth in all of them, right? And I think that that's, that story, that arc has been told so many times because it is, there is, there is so much truth to it. And it's, you know, it it makes me think about, you know, I always set a word of the year for each year in the beginning of this year, I couldn't settle on one word. So I ended up settling on a phrase because that's what kept coming up for me. And it was widen the lens. And I think it ties into what you're talking about, because what I'm hearing is, you know, not only, so it's the acceptance, right? It's Mm -hmm. the acceptance of, okay, this thing that I am or that I have or whatever is no longer Mm -hmm. and opening yourself up to possibilities, right? And to me, that's what widened the lens, you know, sort of conjured for me. And I think... It's scary though. Yeah. It It is scary. It is. But I think of it as more thrilling than I do scary now because you just, you never know what is around the bend <laughs> when you uh, when you open the lens? Yeah, I like that perspective. I think that's right. If you can approach it with excitement and mm-hmm. instead of fear, right? Which, yeah, it, really, all that takes is just being able to find something that centers you enough so that the fear is there and you can acknowledge it, mm-hmm. and you can also be centered enough to to find the excitement and the possibility. I like that. I have to share with you, I have these two little cards in front of me that I share with my clients every now and then. And one of them says, I don't have to fear my fear. I can use it as a way to get closer to love. So fearing fear is certainly, you know, something we experience. But if we can get out of that habit of being fearful of what we don't know and create a habit of openness and willingness to see beyond what we know, then we can tap into our strength and our power and really heal ourselves. That is so powerful, especially right now, like in the Mm. middle of this pandemic, Mm. right? None of us know what's going on. Right. Or what's going to happen next. I love that. Love, love that. Look, we have to remind myself what I just said as I think about the pandemic. I'm like, oh, dear. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I mean, it's I, we have to I think I, I have found it in working with clients. Usually they show up working through some variation of the same things that I'm working through. <laughs> have you found wow. that? Isn't that funny? <laughs> You're like, well, aren't I just sitting here with myself? Totally, (laughs) totally. (laughs) But I think that's what makes, you know, you good at what you do. I always thought that made me a better coach. And I do still coach occasionally. But like, you know, I think I would have been useless to clients, uh, you know, if I hadn't Mm -hmm. experienced some of the same things that they were. Yeah. 
There are lessons all around. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, we've got a few minutes left. Is there anything else that that's really calling to you that you feel like you want to share with my listeners or, or talk about, explore? For sure. I, well, there is just one thing that came to mind. And it really is, you know, we all have a story about what we want our lives to be. We have a vision. And I just like to tell my clients, like, blow the hell out of that story and write something new. Write something courageous, something that just allows you to be brave and confident. And we truly do get to write that story. And so if you're going to do it, why not just do it? <laughs> like, go all the way. And that's what it's really taken for me to kind of pivot and shift is to realize that, wow, like I'm going to get to have a, st like read this story. People will know this story about me. And if I get to create that, then why not just go for it and try something new? If failure is the only thing that could happen, then I'm, I'm ready to just shoot for the moon because there are opportunities, there are people that I can work with, there are women that I can empower. And so I just, you know, just this idea of taking those old stories that you've been telling yourself about things that have happened to you and rewriting them for new stories that serve you and lift you up and really just build you up to where you need to be. Go ahead, be a diva and be fierce. I love it. I love it. I know there are listeners who are, you know, sometimes you just need permission to do that, right? Exactly. And so now you've just Here given it, it to them. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. What is that story going to be? Totally. So tell people where they can uh, learn more about you. Of course. Please visit my website at dreamlifeoutloud.com. I also, this quarter, I have a wellness recipe, very simple recipe for wellness at dreamlifeoutloud.com backslash wellness recipe. You can also email me at danielle at dreamlifeoutloud.com or you can reach out and I'll, I'll be here. I love it. Thank you so much, Danielle. This was amazing. Oh, good. Thank you. Women on the Rise is produced by me, Lara Dolch, with editing help from the team at Lens Group Media. For show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, visit laradolch.com slash podcast. If you'd like to support the work we do on the podcast, leave a rating or review wherever you listen, subscribe to the show, and share episodes on social media or with your friends. It's all a huge help to the show, and I truly appreciate it. 